Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today is a July 13th edition of the MSP Initiative MSP Talk. Uh, all you know, Time is flying by, especially when it's the summer months here in North America. Everybody's out and about, and um, it's always an interesting uh, three-month shuffle here. Before we get into all the good stuff, let's just do some general housekeeping, get it out of the way, and we do it at the beginning of all of these sessions mspinitiative.com. This is where you find everything that we do here for IT and MSP land. This session, every other session we've ever recorded is available here in podcast and video format under the sessions tab. So feel free to uh, drop by a little bit after this and you will find this very session there. We have an event called MSP Community Minds coming up next month in Denver, August 14th and 15th. We have a ton of people from around MSP and IT land. Some are MSPs that will be on panels. Some will be actual workshops with experts that you otherwise would be paying hundreds of dollars an hour to, to give you a little bit of, you know, more than PowerPoints, right? We want you to actually work on something. Could be your contracts with Brad Gross, bring your MSA with you. Maybe it's learning about the worst day in the life of the MSP with Matt Lee about cybersecurity and a bunch of other stuff. This is absolutely 100% free to um, MSPs to register. This is our tour bus converted into a knowledge event uh, for the community. We're paying you back a little bit by trying to help you out. So check it out uh, next month. I uh, would love to see you there in Denver. Now uh, we have our three remaining community block parties for the year. These are the ones that everybody loves. We have the MSP community boat party uh, with our friends over at Taylor Business Group and the big, big conference. You know, check it out. I would love you to see if big, big is for you. But if not, if you're in South Florida, I know a lot of you are. Uh, you could jump on this for an evening and, uh, you know, join us as if you're an MSP. And then there's the Datacom Miami party. Uh, so uh, we had a great event in Dublin. Uh, we're doing the U.S. version of this now. So stay tuned for that. And then lastly is like the big one we do in Orlando every year in November. Last year, we had the All-American Rejects. This year, we're very close to announcing our, uh, our special band, you know, uh, performer for uh, the community. We have some MSP community offers. So these are just companies from around the industry that are giving you guys some cool hookups. Check those out. And then we have our industry calendar, which is kind of what we do in the beginning of every year, just homework. If we're missing any events off of this, just hit submit your event and we'll get it on the calendar. Just, you know, so you know what's happening in the industry. Nothing more, nothing less. So there it is, mspinitiative.com. All that being said, today's um, Special speaker from Dawning, originally from Philadelphia. So I got my, my Eagles gear on today. Uh, Jimmy from CyberQP. How are you doing today, buddy? Birch, beautiful, wonderful. I am doing great. I was in Dallas yesterday, um, the most hated sports city um, that, that we could have. And it was 105 degrees and crazy, dude. Crazy humidity. So, you know, it's hot up here. I'm in New York now, as you know. Um, but I am, I am, you know, no, uh, no offense to my friends down there. You know, some good friends, good business relationships down there. I know your sports rivalry, but I'm glad to be out of that heat. Yeah. I, uh, I know we all love Texas for various reasons, not for their sports agreed. Uh, but uh, 105 degrees is definitely not, uh, not what I'd be signing up for unless you're just going from one air conditioning to another and probably is not happening across the board. Um, 
it's actually kind of nice up in our area finally uh, for you know these months, right? So, and for all the people that live in Arizona or some desert area uh, in <laughs> August and September, I don't know, man. Hundred degrees at twelve o'clock at night is not. It, it's hard to even comprehend, to be honest. Like, and and I still have that one time where my shoes melted um, in Arizona, and I was like, what? And I ended up having to buy new shoes. No joke. Wow. Uh, <laughs> So it's a downtime, you know, I, I, I call this filler time with a pH because uh, that's when the Phillies play and the Eagles are off. Uh, but that's yep. just Philly, Philly jargon. And uh, football season is around the corner. And uh, man, I'm so pumped. I, if we can make another run for the Super Bowl, I'm still, uh, I'll, I, won't, I won't lie to you, Jimmy. I'm still a little bit not totally over the turf gate and like what happened in the Super Bowl with, I don't know, man. Yeah. I thought that was W. You, you won't be for like the next 20, 30 years, like for sure. So I, I know you'll still be talking about it. You know? Yeah. So. Maybe if they go, if they go back and win one, then I'll, maybe I'll forget about it a little bit. Yeah. You'd probably be like, they would have won too. If it wasn't for turf gate. <laughs> Sod gate, turf gate. Sod gate. Yeah. You know, I don't know, man. I mean, I like you think that in the Super Bowl they'd have a, a working field that players can you know stand on properly, but I, I don't know. Eight hundred thousand dollars and they can't figure yeah. out a field. I don't, I don't get it. But hey, you know yeah. you run a billion dollar event. I would hope that that that's a checkbox. So tell me, Jimmy, what's happening in your world? Right? I mean, the MSP land is constantly um, fluxing, and uh, I know you guys have. A lot of things going on and uh would love to hear what's cooking in your kitchen yeah i mean two big things in in my kitchen going on i would say the um first is our event next week um we are you know we we are partnering with um the center for information security um down in in texas back in dallas so might be 105 again i don't know um and we're doing a, a workshop there. So we have, uh, you know, about, I think like 80, 90 MSPs coming out um, for this training. Um, we're going to go through um, secure uh, the, the controls, CIS controls one through five as example, show MSPs how to do it, how to match up um, the, the people and the process, not just the technology, because I think everybody in the MSP world is like, let me throw tools at this when, hey, we got to assign people on top of it. We got to, you know, build out a process for it. And uh, we're going to have a good time, too. You know, we're going to beat the heat. We're going to have the AC pump in and we're going to, uh, you know, have a couple parties there. It's not going to be like an MSP initiative party. I mean, you know, once we get bigger events, George, we'll bring you in and, you know, have a have a true all American rejects or who knows, you know, you guys do it big. Um, but I'm excited for that. That's, that's next week. That's top of mind for me. Um, I'd say the second thing is, you know, our new uh, product stuff with uh, the just in time accounts. Um, you know, we've, uh, we, we've been out there pushing for MSPs to move away from shared passwords, uh, move to a zero standing privilege model. And basically it's a big, it's a whole change for MSPs and the way people operate because we've been on shared passwords for a long time for customer environments. And, you know, before we released, you know, our just-in-time account product, uh, there wasn't really a, a, an easy way for MSPs to do it um, uh, for having named accounts for every customer. There's some, 
you know, some good software out there. Don't want to knock anybody or anything like that. There's some good MSP software that can automate the creation of, you know, admin accounts for everyone in your text on all your servers. But, um, you know, the way we're doing it now is a, is a zero standing privilege model where you don't have admin accounts created um, and out there. And then when techs need them, the accounts are created and then they're deactivated when they're done, you know, a couple hours later. So I don't know, man, I talked about, but those, I talked a lot, but those are the only two things I can think about right now. <laughs> no, that's, I mean, listen, it's, um, I think there's no question that things that have been done for a long time for maybe convenience, um, probably don't work moving forward, right? So like, that's where that one feature probably touches on that. I mean, like, listen, we talk to all the smart guys in the industry and the same, I call it sandbox uh, all the time. And like, I think don't, you know, if they don't see it, they don't care about it is the right way to say it. But I don't think you can do that anymore because, you know, the bad guys aren't stupid either, right? So um, the security conversation just continues to grow. And you know, some of it's just practical stuff, to be honest, right? And I think there's just a time problem in a lot of MSPs because, you know, we all know that there's more clients and there are people in the company, you know, to manage them. And, you know, like there's always that, there's always that imbalance, right? So, and I think the other problem is that not everybody has a, a, a security expert on staff, right? They rely on third parties, right? To do a lot of that stuff. and the last part of my thought there is what you do this year may not work next year, right? Like there's an evolution to all of this on, on, you know, when it comes to the words security um, and like, you can't just say, Hey, here's my stack. And then next year you might need to make a change. Like it may not be the same stuff. You can't wait three years, you know, to make a change. So to some degree that complicates things on both sides of the aisle, because Who's keeping up on that on the MSP side, Jimmy? And then how do they go back to their customers and like not look like they keep putting their hand out? Where, yeah. where, where's the balance? No, and, and you know, I think a lot of it has like, like we're an ecosystem, right? Jane McBain's out there saying that, and you know, everybody's sort of moved to understand that. Um, you know, you and I, if MSPs get popped left and right, and you know things go south for the industry and people stop using msps like it's a big problem for us you know so and we're not the only ones right um so there's been a long like there's a lot of like arrogance in cybersecurity. i mean it's no secret you know cyber people big cyber people you know realizing here will tend to be a bit more arrogant and like oh you should have been doing this blah 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 blah, blah. but like we need to rethink that. And that's why I love everything that you guys are doing with the MSP initiative and trainings and help like let's meet people where they're at and lift them up and not be like, well, if you're not doing this, you know, then I don't even know why you should be in business. Like, shut up, you know, like MSPs are out there, you know, taking calls all day, trying to help people with their business. And, you know, we're throwing more at them every day. They got to do more security, more security, more security. And then, um, you know, it, it's the approach of we got to help people. You know, we got to meet MSPs where they're at. We got to help build them up. You know, we got to improve their security wherever we can. Trainings like we're doing with CIS. I knew some other people are doing lots of similar trainings and, and lots of cybersecurity trainings and, you know, community-oriented stuff. 
um, instead of just being like, if you don't do this, then you don't even deserve to be in business because the people who yeah. say that they're the ones who won't be in business. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you want to call that technology shaming fine, you know, put whatever words you want to that. I mean, every time I ever went to the whole Paul Dipple seminar where he's like, well, here's your operational maturity number. And like, here's what you need to do to get to the next level. And then you did, you did all this work. You did all this work. They're like, oh, cool. Now you're restarting from scratch. You need to do all this stuff. And you're like, when does it end? Um, yeah, I used to call him Dr. Doom, right? Because every time you talk to him, you have a new set of stuff to do. But um, there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of like, you don't know. It's almost like the end users, let me go. All right. Let me rephrase it this way. IT is one of the top five most hated industries still in, <laughs> in, in business. I don't know if you knew that, right? Like lawyers, insurance, like they're just talking about stuff that the average check signer doesn't totally understand. Right. And so like every time you go to your mechanic and they're like, oh, well, this manifold or this sensor, or this, that, and this, that, and then that's why your car's broken. You're like, I have no idea what that means. How much does it cost to fix? And what do I need to do to be back on the road? So back to the whole, that same complex, that same feeling is now going back into MSP and the vendor, right? And I think that, or MSP and the expert, right? And I think that that's one of the challenges in the industry, right? Rather more of a community-based approach where we're all learning rather than, hey, you're bad because you're not doing, but um, a comment you made earlier still applies here, right? Every time somebody's name ends up in a headline somewhere, we all take a hit. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's unavoidable, right? And then like you, you mentioned CISA, they're kind of on the same boat where they're like, they put out some things over the last 12, 24 months where it's like, be careful of the MSP or if you don't need an MSP, don't use it. And I'm like, well, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What are you, what are you saying here? Are you, are you giving like the entire sub vertical a black eye? What's going on? Yeah, I mean, look, like you need managed IT services. Like you need it. You need managed cyber services too. Like the, you know, cupcake shop or whatever it is at the small doctor's office or small, like they're not going to be able to afford or have enough work for an internal resource. Right. So you're always, always going to need an MSP. And then even as things get more and more complicated, the bigger companies need MSPs, too, because even the amount of tools that MSPs need to evaluate, you know, throughout the year and swap stuff in and have a good stack, like that's like multiple people's full time jobs. So even like, you know, a couple hundred people companies, it still makes sense for them financially, for sure. Uh, to bring in an MSP in, in a lot of cases. So like this like philosophy of like, oh, you know, this MSP did this, you know, or, you know, got security breached or MSPs touch a lot of people. So there's a lot of risk there. So you don't use them is like, you know, it's like, why are we even talking about that? Because they're like, MSPs aren't going to go away. The industry is growing. The industry is booming private equity is throwing like massive amounts of money in because they know it's booming and they know it's growing so like you know let's fix it together <laughs> let's improve things together 100 percent um let's talk about let's talk about that part for a second because 
Um, this may be a little bit off the beaten trail here, but like a lot of people, Jimmy, say that the private equity, venture capital part of the whole industry has maybe soured people on how things are going. And, you know, whether it's the business model, right, and the terms that come along with it versus the, you know, at what point does innovation stop and just prices go up, right? Like it's counter to... Yeah. So, you know, my opinion on this is pretty loud, but I want to hear your opinion on, you know, is this, is this a good path forward? And is there a median ground in between the service provider and the vendor when it comes to this whole conversation? Or is it always a ticking time bomb? Sure, sure. So, lot to unpack there. So, one thing I'll say, right, there's private equity in MSPs themselves, right? So before, say the past couple of years, private equity was experimenting in the MSP world, and maybe they throw uh, $50 million or $25 million or $100 million towards a project to do an MSP roll-up, where they basically buy a couple MSPs, you know, um, put them all together, get better pricing, get better, you know, economies of scale. And then, you know, they spent whatever, $50 million on the, all the companies. And now they have a company worth a hundred million dollars or whatever it is, right. However the economics are, um, that is a good exit opportunity for a lot of MSP business owners. Um, that brings a lot of, um, more due diligence for a lot of MSP business owners, um, necessary, right. It brings more maturity to our industry. Um, it brings in a greater, uh, focus on private equity uh, KPIs, right? Like um, EBITDA and margin and takes away focus on the customer experience. I'm not saying every rollup is bad. I know there's some great ones. Um, and I know there's some great private equity backed, you know, big MSPs that can do the customer experience at scale. But traditionally when private equity comes in business, they're looking to cut costs and increase profits. And in many cases, a customer can suffer in that. So you have your, your, you know, positives and negatives there. Um, you know, is it a positive or a negative that, you know, you're, um, you can go to any, um, uh, what's it, uh, Jefferson Health in Philly outpatient, right? And they have your medical records at all of them because they bought off every single small, you know, outpatient provider in the past couple of years or Penn Health or NovaCare or whatever, you know, the different ones that came in, right? That that same thing happened 20, 10 years ago to a lot of the healthcare industry. It's happening to IT. It's going to continue on that path. That's MSP side. The vendor side, there is a reality check happening right now in 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 venture capital um, and private equity where um, previously it was very common for companies to run at a massive loss, say in the past 20, 15 years during this bull cycle, because the fundraising money was always there. So with that, MSPs benefited tremendously from really great products built really fast for a really low price, because you can do that a lot easier when you're burning $100 million over the course of five years with no expectation to become a profitable company. Now, a lot of MSPs hate 
um, when venture capital funded things, right, which are, yay, you know, exciting, accelerate, grow, improve, lots of money to a traditionally private equity backed thing, because private equity will usually, in most cases, turn it profitable. That means raising prices. That means cutting costs. Um, the reality is there is a big gap happening between the two, right, between venture capital and private equity. So then you have this giant shock happening um, between it where all of a sudden prices are getting crazy up, whole teams are getting laid off, all that. When the private equity back thing is just going, well, look, we're just making this a profitable business. And then, you know, the MSP is just suffering in, in the in the um, interim. Now, there's definitely, you know, there's there is somewhere in between where companies are, you know, bootstrapped like yourself and need to use their own capital and be a lot smarter with it and a lot more efficient with it and grow, um, you know, continue, you know, they don't have hundreds of millions of dollars to drop on, you know, massive teams and marketing budgets and all that. Um, but from a venture capital perspective, because the fundraising isn't always there, you're going to see a lot more exits to private equity and you're going to see higher prices because what's happening in venture capital is um, companies, um, SaaS companies are starting to become profitable. So now MSPs all over the place are like, gonna. Uh, I, this is my prediction over the next two years, they're going to be like, why is this company doubling their prices? Why is this company raising their prices? Why is this price so high? Why is this price so high? Blah, 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 blah. That is the only way that you can avoid the big shock between running at a loss to, you know, private equity, like chop, 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 chop. We're going to make a, a profit off it. Um, so I, I think like it's... I don't know. I'm talking a lot here, but I got big. No, no. I, just, you know. I mean, I, I always like to, you know, get everybody's feedback on this because every time I go into a Reddit and a Discord and a Slack and a Facebook and like anywhere where people can type, I feel like they're all complaining about this all the time. And it's like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think people realize what's happening underneath the hood. And that's why we try and like, you know, understand what's going on in front of you so that you can better prepare as the person downstream for the inevitable change. It, the only way we can break this cycle of, you know, super cheap, super expensive is higher prices across the board. Um, less, you know, steak dinners and, uh, you know, getting flown out places and big MDF dollars. Like that's, that's just what has to happen. And most people don't like that. They don't want that. You know, I've paid my price for whatever this tool is for this long. I don't care if you're running it at a loss, but like if, if you want companies to remain independent, uh, you want them to become sustainable companies um, that generate profit for the owners of the companies, you know, the shareholders, just like you as an MSP want to generate profit for yourself. They're going to have to, you know, do things to become profitable. So um, I don't know. It's kind of like, I, I, laugh yeah. a little bit to myself because it's like oh this keeps happening but then the solution to stop it you know is is not a solution anybody wants to hear it brings me to my next thought and and you know just let me put it all out there don't uh, don't get jumpy here um a lot of people have said the system is broken right like too many events too many you know like you know very expensive things to put on. 
there is a lot of, and like my school of thoughts always been, hey, like we can collaborate, right? We're not all running on individual lanes of the highway. We can package multiple people, multiple companies together and cost share things in order to get to a good outcome rather than the $150,000 platinum, whatever, you know, sponsorship, you know, like you guys do a lot of stuff. I know you have some, some people tied into your event next week, right? You know, like we do a lot of stuff with a lot of people as a vendor and as, as MSP initiative, it's all, co you know, collaboration, right? Like, you know, is that a possible path forward or do you feel like that's too slow based on the expectations of the money spenders? I don't think it gets, no, I think it's just going to get bigger and bigger. I mean, look at, look up market, right? Like RSA and, uh, you know, those types of events never got cheaper, <laughs> you know, like, I think it's just going <laughs> to, events are going to get bigger. There's going to be more of them. And, you know, the, Bubbles keep getting bigger. I don't think we're anywhere close to it, at, you know, having a correction. I don't know. I mean, it could be wrong, but. Okay. What about, you know, going back to the competitive landscape for a second, right? Like sure. we all have competitors in the space, right? You know, and we can name them all, right? Like as, a, as you know, my other company, right? In the VoIP space, there's Citricom, there's Intermedia, there's Nextiva and Ring Central and Vonage and all those guys, right? It's kind of a crowded space, but when it comes to companies that like concentrate on MSP, you know, like our MSP focus, there's a yeah, hand, right? Yeah. And, and like, listen, you got, when it comes to security, like the names of companies just explode, right? I mean, yeah. you can have the very big guys, right? And you could have the really small guys that are MSP focused, right? Like, you know who your competitors are in the space, right? You know, you got the guys down in Tampa, you got, you know, the guys on the West Coast as well, right? There's all these people building stuff. At the end of the day, like, is there too much overlap happening? Or can you combine multiple solutions where it it's profitable? It makes sense. There's profitability in, you know, having multiple vendors check different boxes. I mean, like markets always move towards consolidation just in general. And that's why you see, you know, acquisitions and mergers and that kind of stuff. People usually want one throat to choke or one place to go or a discount if they get all their services. It comes down to these um, standardized and connect with them because standardized on Kaseya. Um, that's why a lot of tools get tucked into that portfolio. Now, with that being said, like the space security gets really niched down, right? So like previous uh area that i was in was you know security operations center mdr eventually xdr and you know sock sim all that where you know when i entered the market there was like black point scout and you know perch and the couple of them right and and um you know black point's still doing their thing they just raised whatever hundred million dollars from Dana yeah. shout out to John and his whole team. That's like amazing. It was a great job. That's, you know, that's, that's a gold star for the industry, by the way, um, showing something like that. But, um, you know, when Perch was acquired by ConnectWise and Scott was acquired by Barracuda and now there's like 5,000 MDR providers, like, like a million, like I go to the conference, I'm like, wow, I am, you know, I, I had fun in this business, but I was glad I was here before all this competition came in. Um, and, and, you know, like I, I, I tend to be an early adopter of things is like what I look for when I join a company and, you know, I'm in privileged access management and like, you know, you, you mentioned the guys down in Tampa, like, 
you know, we maybe have 10, 20% product overlap. It's that, right? And uh, there's tons of partners that are on our partner advisory council and are on their partner advisory council, right? And, you know, them using both services. Um, you know, over time, if, you know, we both become full suites or not or merge or whatever, I don't know. I don't know where that's going to go. Uh, but I think like that there's there's plenty of room, you know, nobody's like, like it's not a winner takes all thing here. And like there's lots of MSPs, there's tons of MSPs in the space. Um, you know, like the, like when we were coming up, there was plenty of plenty of customers for Scout to have and then plenty for Perch to have and then plenty for, you know, uh, 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 Black Point to have, right? It's not like it's an RMM or a PSA you know, where it's already commoditized in the whole market where you're just trying to displace competitors, right? Um, which is a whole different thing, right? This is a, a, a market, a new area of security where maybe 10% of MSPs have started adopting pieces of this technology. And there's 10 different pieces of the technology that need to be adopted, you know, and you can go to 10 different vendors or two different vendors or three different vendors to have the different pieces. So like my my take on it is like, you know, we're all in this together, right? We're educating the market. We're going to grow, you know, in the same tailwinds together, right? If people starting to adopt privilege access management solutions and, people, and MSPs improving their identity access management, um, you know, like I, that's how it goes. Like it's a big market. It's big. No, it's 100% right. Let me ask you this question because... Uh, I ask everybody and they all come up with a different number. What are you, what's your understanding of how many MSPs there are? Some people say there's 70,000. Some people say there's yeah. 150,000. What's, what's the number that you work from? Well, how are we defining MSP? Do they have to have at least five employees? Um, I would say, I would say that's a good question, America. right? Because they're all acronyms that get smushed together, right? Um, I would say in North America, if you're counting MSPs that offer managed IT services on a monthly recurring basis that have more than say five to 10 employees plus um, and cut off the maturity there, you're probably in the 20 to 25,000, 20 to 30,000 range. Um, now, if you bring it down and anyone offering managed services, right, it can be a two person shop, a three person shop, a five person shop. You get into the 50,000 range, maybe higher. I don't know. It's hard to count. And then if you think of it, anyone who can resell a data device, right? Because that's where we got a lot of these numbers from. That's how you get into the 100,000 or 150,000 um, because you have, you know, like people doing break fix IT, people, you know, who have like three clients, like they're, they become, you know, resellers for the service and it may be the only uh, monthly recurring service that they resell. The rest is just still, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to know. Like there's reports that say 50,000, that say 7,000, that say there's 50,000 in Europe alone. I, like, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I try and look at, and you know, we don't have all the data, right? I'm sure somebody in these companies do, right? If you look at what's happening on Kaseya land when they take the, I don't know, how many companies are there? 35, six, seven, I don't know. And you smash them all together. What's the number of unique numbers? ConnectWise did the same thing, right? Where they had the PSA, the RMM, and like their two or three or four core products. And they said, hey, what's the, what's the unique overlap or 
unique number once they overlap all their products. And they said it was like 20 something thousand. Uh, at Pax Eight Beyond, uh, I feel like it's a month ago now, they said that they're almost at 30,000 partners, right? And like, there was a lot more to go. So like, I would say if we just talked about North America, I'm thinking there's 60 to 70,000 companies that fit the criteria. So once you move out of North America, and I'm sure a Jay McBain did out there, so he can send me a message. But once you move out of North America and you talk about, you know, Europe and Asia and you know, like those regions, um, I think that that together there's probably an equal number amount as North America. So when you add those two numbers together, that's how you get to this global number of 140, 150, somewhere around there. I don't know, could be wrong, but that's what I think's happening. I believe it. So like coming back, what reason I asked that number is like how many actively transacting partners is enough to be like legitimate? You know, is it a thousand? Is it 20,000? Like what's, what's the magic number where you think like you're, hey, I'm for real. You know, I, you know I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the game. I'm at the big boy table. It all depends, man. It depends on a lot of things. If you're selling something for cheap just to MSPs to buy, you got to have 10,000 of them, you know, 5,000 of them. If you're selling something that is expensive, um, that goes wide and deep inside an MSP, you can have a couple hundred MSPs and be in the $10 million in annual recurring revenue, uh, usually. So, like, Partner number is kind of, you know, like I, I think like a, a, a thousand partners is definitely like, a, you know, you've been around here and, and lots of people know you, um, but you could have uh, companies doing a lot more revenue um, and touching a lot more endpoints in with 300 partners say than companies with 4,000 partners. Yeah. Well, to your point, right? Math is important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, like, uh, you're right. If everybody's doing a million dollars a year, I probably don't need three, a thousand partners. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I know, ten, I know a thousand partners, like you said, is like usually a good benchmarking, you know, kind of number. And I don't know, $10 million in revenue is probably one of those big, big, big numbers. Right. You know, where, you know, like you circle a number and you're like, all right, th these people are, you know, have made it to the table kind of thing. I don't know. That's what I think I of companies that are doing more than five million in revenue um, that haven't been bought by a, a, another company, haven't been acquired, and um, aren't part of an enterprise play that are fully channel. The room gets pretty small, so yeah. you know, like pretty quick because a lot of companies get up to like a couple, three, four, five million in ARR and then get bought and spun in. So there's not a lot of independent. Um, MSP, fully MSP focused companies that are doing, yeah, not much revenue. No, that's, I'm just trying to like, everybody just talks in vague things, right? That's why I try and get into the nitty gritties during these sessions, right? So we can all be, you know, kind of see where everybody lands. But I appreciate, you know, your opinion on things because ultimately MSPs out here who listen to this type of information can start to really understand why things by the time they get to them are the way that they are, right? And like, if you're going to go back to your vendor partner of choice and have a business conversation, you really need to be standing on concrete and not quicksand.
Yeah. yeah. So if it's a true partnership and everybody's getting something out of it, like you need to be reasonable and like understand how the math works before you can go and ask for something. I think. Yeah, that's how I like to approach things for sure. Let me take another direction at you. Okay. Um, I think in the mid and early, to, like the 2010s, right? Like remote work started to creep up, creep up, creep up. And then the pandemic just forced the agenda, right? And I think I now as we've hopefully, I don't, hopefully we don't see another pandemic in our lifetime. Um, how do you view hiring in remote areas when you're building out your team, right? Like I've always said that I've always been remote. I've always been hiring remote, like even from the inception of my MSP and the inception of my, you know, my, the company that I started after my MSP. But one of the things that's been really eye-opening over my journey has been it's harder to train people that aren't in the same place the osmosis, you know, effect that happens when everybody's in the same office learning from, you know, like conversations that are happening around them aren't happening. And like, you really don't even know if the person's going to work out in the time period that you expect because it just elongates everything. Those are my things that I've seen, you know, but like, I'm curious from your perspective, because you've been doing a lot of hiring and you've built teams out yeah. now. What's your, what's your position? So, um, I work for a remote only company. You know, we have a couple satellite offices and here in a you know we work right now. Um and um, you know, we have an office in in um in Vancouver and we have a, a bunch of people up there. But um you know, it works great for us. It works really great. And yes, you know, bring people up to speed and having a, a sales bullpen where people are, you know, able to pick up things off the fly off each other. Like that stuff's hard. So you have to, first of all, if you want to be successful as a remote company, you have to set yourself up to be a remote company. So you have to over-index on Slack, Teams, Confluence, you know, SharePoint, whatever it is. Like the remote collaboration tools, those have to be a part of the culture of the company. If you're still emailing freaking versions of documents back and forth, and talking all through email and trying to be a remote company, like uh, <laughs> it's not going to work, right? You're just taking like being an in-person and then, you know, moving it remote. And like, it, that's where I think a lot of the um, complaints around remote or remote work or criticisms come from. Um, but if you set it up from the get go or from the gate um, saying, you know, here's how we're going to onboard employees remotely, and here's how people are going to learn, and here's the knowledge base that we created, and here's a training platform that we use, and here's, you know, how we're going to do check-ins, and we're going to over-index on this, and, you know, we can work asynchronously, so we're not, we don't have a whole team sitting in Zoom meetings all day, right? We can, we can ensure they're being productive, um, but also, you know, let them have time to themselves to, like, actually get work done and not just sit in a meeting. Um, it, it works. And look, like I'm in New York City. It's, it's you know, the second most um, expensive city to hire in, in in North America and, you know, definitely top five in the world, if not top three. Um, and, you know, it's just unfeasible for me to hire a whole team here versus, you know, get the best people remote where they're at. Right. Like um, uh, it's it's uh, 
I would just, I like being able to work with the best people. You know, it doesn't matter where they are, but they live. Um, you know, I like to keep a, a team as small as possible and um, work with great people. And it's going to, it's going to be fine if you can do that. And, you know, maybe, maybe we'll run into problems when, when we become a 500, if we become a 500 person company, but I don't know. No, that's, that's fair. I mean, um, sometimes it's hard to figure out if you found a really good person until they're in, in the chair, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, so, you know, I don't know. Tradition, you know, hey, 90 days to figure out if you fit the job. Does that even work anymore, Jimmy? Like, is that even a reasonable amount of time to figure out somebody who's working on the remote that they can do the gig? Uh, I'll tell you what. I brought in Nadia Carizazorios to our team um, in November, December of last year, while I was on paternity leave, she started while I was on paternity leave. Um, and with the, you know, sole purpose of director of hosted events. And I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing with create, creating events. You were on the original, you know, you, you planned DattoCon multiple times, you know, with lots of other people too, but like, you know what you're doing. Right. So, um, you know, had I given her you know, 90 days to, uh, you know, prove that she can throw an event is not possible. You know, we had to do the, the road shows all over the country. And sometimes it's like two people showed up, I think once or twice, nobody showed up. And a couple of times we had 30, 40 people show up. It was great. And we learned a lot. We had to go through all that pain and it took a long time. And there's a certain amount of patience there. Um, and that's a strategic role, right? And there's a bet that comes with the company with hiring someone like that and doing something like that. But like, um, if, if you want to, you know, make it doing big strategic things and you, you, you place your bets carefully, like you gotta, you gotta give people time to ride that out. Now, on the other hand, if you have, you know, um, a very specific type of marketing role or a very specific type of sales role, then like the person can't, I don't know, like, uh, you can't like in, in some cases you can just figure out if somebody's not a culture fit or something and, and it, it can, it can happen quicker. Um, but you know, you gotta have patience with some people too. Fair enough. Everybody has this love hate relationship on both sides of the aisle with vendors emailing and phone calling them. <laughs> I like, it just boggles my mind sometimes where it's like we have entire riffs and threads with people saying, don't call me, don't email me, don't look at me, don't mail me, don't send a carrier pigeon. And I'm like, how do you generate net new business for your company then? Like, let's have a serious conversation about it, right? Like as an MSP, like you grow, I guess, through referral, we know that, but like at some point you need to do some outbound marketing of some sort, right? And like, these are the same things you need to do as an MSP that your vendors do in order to work with you. Do you feel like, like, what is the right cadence, you know, whether it's a trade show, whether it's, you know, you know, you have a marketing campaign that's cold, whatever, like what, what is, do you think is a reasonable cadence? A great question, George. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm getting hit with 50 emails a day and calls and all that stuff from people. Um, it's not a problem unique to our industry. I will say I don't necessarily think it's um, the volume that's as important as the quality. Um, I think that there's a lot of like really shitty 
outreach. Um, and one thing that I'm trying to do a lot better at is catching context at a show. Um, so what, what, what could be frustrating if I was an MSP, George, if I walk up to you, say you're not there, right? Say, say they has, this person has an amazing conversation with Alec. You know, they say, I'm using this specific type of phone system. Here are my four biggest problems with it. Alec mentions a couple features that you have, right? Yeah, they have a great conversation. And then a week later, uh, the show list is sent to somebody on your sales team that just starts calling and emailing this guy with the same stuff. Meanwhile, the guy told Alec, you know, hey, I'm not the right person for this. You need to talk to Joe on my team who runs our VoIP division or whatever it is, right? Um, that happens every day to MSPs. And I'm not saying you guys do that. I'm not saying that at all. Alec is phenomenal, right? He's probably texting the sales rep, giving context, doing handoffs, all that. But like, I could see how freaking frustrating it would be to go have a whole conversation like that with a vendor and then have somebody else who I've never heard of or talked to calling me 30 times in a row to ask me if I, you know, attended the party or, you know, whatever while 30 other people are the same, the same thing. So I think it's more being able to be more thoughtful in outreach and responses where we as an industry, not as an industry, just sales outbound and marketing in general, the bar is very low for what we'll write an email and press send on, or, um, you know, what we'll say when we call someone. So um, I don't know. I think it's quality um i think we have a quality problem more than a quantity problem and the quality problem makes the quantity problem worse because when you have low quantity low quality you have lower conversion rates so you the volume goes up that's probably the most descriptive response to that question i've gotten in a long time gotta be honest um you know i appreciate you being like you know pretty open about it right because I just think that people need to be receptive to the fact that in order for everybody to move forward, everybody needs to get something out of it, right? Like, yeah. let's be honest, right? Like, if you go to an event, the event doesn't happen by itself. People have to pay on the other side for that event to happen, right? So, like, if you're trying to learn, awesome. If they're trying to get ROI on the other side, needs to happen or else, guess what? It doesn't happen anymore, right? And <laughs> maybe there's some you know, things that need to have like a true up, right? Like maybe there shouldn't be an event every single day of the, of the, of the month. But I just think that everybody should be receptive to the fact that everybody needs to get something out of it. That's all. And like, be fair about it. That's, you know, that's all I try and, you know, find a middle ground where everybody understands that, hey, if, if you're really not interested, just tell them I'm good and unsubscribe and be okay with that rather than going, and creating a, a firestorm out of it for no reason. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Look, my cell phone numbers and friggin' Zoom info or seamless or whatever out there, and like people call it all the time. And I'm gonna be honest, you know, I got a Zoom number for work and I never answered it. So, like, I don't blame them. <laughs> I got you. I got you. All those LinkedIn messages. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What do you think about? video as the kind of 
nouveau way of doing the outreach now, right? Like instead of just an email, instead of just a phone call, doing a more customized video message, whether it's like a Loom or some other platform that allows you to actually embed that. I think it's great. You know, I haven't mastered doing it at scale, but I've definitely um, reached out to the sales team multiple times and said, hey, you know, I'm going to make 25 videos today with, you know, accounts you're working. Because a lot of times people I know I ran into and they're trying to call them up and like, you know, I'm trying to save everybody time. Like, hey, you know, like, you know, Chris reached out to me, told me he was trying to get on your calendar. I just wanted to send you a video. Hope you're doing well. Good seeing you last week. Like, that's personal. That, that, that um, definitely helps. Another, another thing is LinkedIn audio messages. Like, um, like, you know how many freaking, hey, blah, 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 lead gen services I get on LinkedIn every day. Like, if I get an audio message from someone, that's unique, right? Like, I'm going to listen to that, you know, at least maybe, right? Um, it's just standing out from the noise. So I don't, like, I'm not saying that, hey, if you switch everything to video, you're going to win all the time. But being more thoughtful about your outreach and, you know, um, creating videos that are actually useful, right? Like, hey, I was checking out your, your website. I see that you're offering XYZ services. Uh, I also noticed on your LinkedIn that you have, you know, a director of uh, security, right? I was wondering if there would be a good person that I could reach out to talk, talk about our offering. We could add these services to your stack. We could improve this, blah, 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 blah. That's a lot better than like, you know, whatever, a shitty email. <laughs> no, that's fair. Uh, la last one I have for you. Um there's been, there's been a little bit of like interesting approach on trying to make everybody in your company a content creator. I don't know if it's successfully been pulled off, but like you hear companies who are like, hey, start creating, you know, go online, put, get in front of a camera, do something, right? Post it to your profile. You never know. And if you get enough people in your company doing that, you know, then like you start to see a cumulative effect happening. What do you think about that approach? Nobody gives a. F Am I allowed to say fucking this thing? You can know. say whatever you want. Go for it. Nobody gives a fuck what your company page is posting, right? Like nobody cares. You know, like if you're the CEO of the business, like you got to be the person, you know, or somebody in your organization has to be out there talking, right? And it's a, it, that's how you set the standard. Like if if your goal to do social media is to hire an intern who's doing it part time and fresh out of college and like, hey you know, post what you want, right? That's not, that's not setting the culture of the company. If you're setting a culture of the company, you know, or a culture of a marketing team, like we're doing is, you know, we, we put out valuable content every single day, you know, on LinkedIn and other platforms and generate engagement, talk to people, then other people on the team are going to do it. You know, like, um, I, I'm sure you're talking about, you know, Kelsey a little bit there, you know, like she blew up in the past year on social media where, you know, people, every time somebody, I talk to them, they're like, Oh, where's Kelsey? How's she doing? And, you know, part of it's because she's an awesome, awesome, awesome person, you know, who's very thoughtful and remembers people and, you know, is on all the events and works her ass off. Um, but another part of it is she consistently put out quality content on social media for the past 
year and a half since, you know, we've been working together. And I told her on our first day, I want you to post on social media every day. You're traveling to all these events. It's cool stuff. Start doing it. I, Here I, we are I, a year and a half later. <laughs> I know she, she's doing a great job. And like, yeah. I know she did start the podcast and, you know, she's been doing like definitely visible, right? On the thread. Her podcast is doing better than my podcast. I'm like, look at this. Teacher becomes a master here, or yeah, whatever it is. Or, I love that. Uh, student becomes a master. Yeah, I love that. You know, like content creation is, it seems to be the, you know, the current day standard, right? I just don't think everybody's confident enough to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, are we going back to trust the process? I don't know, man. I don't even know anymore. I don't know it. This sleeve of Maury's that he's got, I don't know what's up there, man. You know, I feel like our team is maybe strong enough. I don't know. Small chance to win a championship if Harden comes back. Trade him. I don't know what you're going to trade him for. Uh, next year, yeah, we'll have a ton of cap space, but we're, we're coming back with the reigning MVP. I know it comes with an asterisk because of his playoff performance and all that. Um, but you got the MVP, right, on your team, right? You got Tyrese Maxey on your team, right? Mm -hmm. Get this man people to win a championship with. I don't care how you do it. I know that there's tons of stuff and problems from the Colangelo era, you know, the Twitter gate and his, his normal collars and finding new slant and that craziness that happened and ruined our franchise and set us back from all the process era and the Sam Hickey, the great stuff that Sam Hickey did. I'll say it. I'm a Sam Hickey believer. Um, Colangelo and the league and, you know, everybody hates Philly, man. Everybody hates Philly. Real quick to find us for tampering, right? Nobody else gets it when all these trades happen an hour after the, the free agency's lifted and stuff. Uh, you know, nothing's going to happen until Damian Lillard gets traded. Nothing's going to happen until Damian Lillard gets traded. Whenever that <laughs> happens, then all of a sudden, the, the, it, maybe it'll happen to us. I don't mm -hmm. know. Maybe he ends up there. He did publicly say that he does not want to go to Philadelphia. So maybe he won't go to us. Um but none of these teams are going to make deals with James Harden until Damian Lillard finds a new home. So we'll see. That's fair. That's, that's a really good analysis. What do you think about the, uh, they want to move, build the stadium in Chinatown? Hey man, I don't own a car. I love it. <laughs> I'm like, I, 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 from the outside of that in Philly, I like it because of the public transportation access. You know, coming from South Jersey, you can get there really easily. I know that there's problems with coming into the city and parking. Now, one thing, you know, I, I get that. Another thing um, is when I went into Chinatown and saw, um, you know, a lot of the businesses there, the small mom and pop businesses, having signs protesting it. I don't know everything that's going out there. I don't know if they're getting pushed out of their community, all that. So I'm sure there's an element there that I don't know and I'm very ignorant on. Um, but Man, I live two blocks from Madison Square Garden. I can walk up to it. It's awesome. So I, I, <laughs> I mean, Wells Fargo Center is terrible. So oh, hold on, hold something. on. You're, you're a Philly guy. You're living in New York. I got it. But MTA runs 24 hours a day, my friend. Like, SEPTA doesn't go to midnight. Yeah. That's the problem. Like, if I want to go to a game, can I get back from the game? That's the problem. I, I mean, like... Yeah. 
I guess if they take some time around special schedules, they have to do that. Uh, Papco runs all night, so they'll have that to Jersey, and then you know they'll have to figure out something for the people who actually live in Philadelphia, which are probably people who are going to get sick if it happens. Yeah. Well, I guess they have ten years to figure it out if they do this. So maybe Septo will be fixed by that. Who knows? Uh, I'm the and uh, me and you, Jimmy, separate on this topic, right? <laughs> I've probably taken a train in the U.S. ten times in my life. Like, I'm a I drive everywhere. Yeah. I know you're the opposite, right? You're 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 mass transit guy. I got I, I spend a freaking car payment on Amtrak all the time going to Philly. So I got you. What's your favorite airline of choice? By Delta Airlines. I'm yeah. one of those. One of those. You and Alec are best friends on this topic. Yeah, yeah it's half our conversations are just about that. So yeah, Delta Delta status and Delta points. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha, man. Where where are we going to see you? And obviously, you have your event. I think not next week, but the week after in Dallas. Next week, next week Monday, next I'll be week. in Dallas. Back to Dallas. Back awesome. to back Dallas cybersecurity events. Cool. And then, like, I'm sure you got a, bunch, a heavy event scheduled between now and the end of the year. Uh, but if somebody doesn't catch you at an event, where should they go and find more information about your company and what they can do for them? And maybe talk to someone if they want to know more. Yeah, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn, um, Jimmy Hetzel, um, or go to our website, cybertp.com. We've got demo videos of everything. You can go schedule a demo yourself. You don't have to, like, fill out a form or anything. Just it's the time that works for you. Um, and if you just want to do product research, it's totally fine. We got all the videos showing every different feature and how it works. So it's a good website, I think. <laughs> awesome. I am sure we're going to see you guys out on the road shortly. Uh, good luck uh, next week. Hope everything goes well. And we will catch you on the flip side. Thank you, George. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. You got yeah. it. For everyone else, this session was recorded. Like I told you in the beginning, you'll find it at mspinitiative.com under sessions and we'll post it like we normally do after this. Uh, make sure to follow Tuesdays, Thursdays, one o'clock Eastern time. That's when we do these sessions live. If not, you'll see them online afterwards and make sure to check out all the cool stuff that we're doing, um, you know, for the community, right? All of our stuff's posted online. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a good one.